So for me, it began over a week ago. My email inbox began to become overwhelmed. The messages were flooding in. Move fast to get the best deals. Black Friday is just around the corner. Last chance, it ends tonight. Black Friday deals start today. Start shopping. Ready, set, shop. Happy Thanksgiving. Black Friday deals start now. 25% off sale. How to be thankful. Gobble, gobble this. 50% off. Finally, it's here. The madness begins. And as I tried to prepare for a holiday that's supposed to be about Thanksgiving and contentment, I was bombarded with incessant messages about all the things I apparently should be discontent without. Bombarded with messages about things I wasn't even aware I needed. But now my life was somehow incomplete without them. If I was going to be thankful and content, then first I must shop. And now I had to get ready for the madness. I had to get ready to move fast or I would miss out. All of these messages encouraging me, enticing me, tempting me to cut my celebration of contentment short in order to feed and satisfy my discontentment. And sure enough, as we sat around the Thanksgiving table before dessert, the conversation eventually turned to Black Friday. But it was only Thursday. And it can become so overwhelming and we can become so discontent so easily. And that's exactly what happens when we celebrate the birth of Christ at the altar of Santa's consumerism. At the altar of Santa's consumerism, there is no contentment. At the altar of Santa's consumerism, we always cry for more. What do you want for Christmas? I don't know, but my email inbox has plenty of suggestions for you. Right? But truth be told, I didn't really need any help from my email inbox to make me feel overwhelmed this holiday season. Maybe like me, you didn't need any help from your email inbox either. Maybe you're already feeling overwhelmed by life, overwhelmed with work or school or both, overwhelmed with family or friends or both, overwhelmed with finances or health issues, overwhelmed by the kids' schedules or overwhelmed by church. Hey, it's okay to admit that. I get overwhelmed by church about every day. Maybe like me, even before the holiday season started, you were already feeling overwhelmed. And now the thought of shopping, the parties, the travel, and the family gatherings is threatening to push you over the edge. Maybe you're hanging at the edge of the cliff, desperately grasping for the peace that the angels promised when they announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds. And if that's where you are this morning, then let's just take a deep breath together and spend a few minutes recalibrating ourselves for the season that's before us. 
And if you're sitting here this morning thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Doesn't he know that this is the most wonderful time of the year? That's awesome. I am seriously happy for you because the rest of us need people like you. So hang in with us and let's be sure that it's wonderful for the right reasons. So the question we need to answer today, if we have a chance of enjoying this holiday season is, what do we want for Christmas? And is there something that we could ask for that would really make us more content? Is there something that we could ask for that would really help us find the peace that the angels promised the shepherds? So let's start with a different question. Have you ever gotten a gift that you didn't expect? Maybe it was from an unexpected person, or it was at a time you didn't expect to get a gift. It wasn't Christmas or your birthday, but somebody gave you a gift anyway. And that gift so clearly expressed the person's care and understanding of you in your situation that it caused you to stop and pause. If you've gotten an unexpected gift like that, then you know that gifts like that are different. Because unexpected gifts create an inner joy and happiness that expected gifts just don't. Because when we get an unexpected gift, we know that the person was really thinking about us. In the Bible, there's a story of a gift like that. It's found in the book of Philippians, which in fact is just a long thank you card that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, thanking them for an unexpected gift that they had given to him. And today we're just going to focus on four verses towards the end of the letter to help us answer our question, what do we want for Christmas? So in Philippians 4, 10 to 13, we read, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So let's walk through this passage together to try and help us answer our question and find out what we should be asking for for Christmas if we want to find lasting contentment. First, we're going to consider the result of the contentment, and then we're going to actually consider the source of the contentment. So in the beginning of the passage, he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. If you've ever gotten an unexpected gift, you understand what Paul is saying here. He's so thankful and appreciative for the people and their unexpected gift that it causes him to praise God. Paul praises God because he recognizes that their gift was not the result of an obligation, but that their gift came out of the overflow of their love for God. Their gift was a statement of their love and concern for Paul, which flowed out of their understanding of God's love and concern for them. Paul was thankful for their gift. He was thankful that they were thinking about him, but his joy was actually because he knew what their gift said about their focus. Paul was joyful because he understood that 
their selfless focus on him said that their perspective on life and their relationship with God was in the right place. That's the thing about unexpected gifts. A gift given without any other reason than love and concern for someone. A gift given without any expectation of return is a window into someone's heart. Because when we are focused on our own contentment, or really when we're focused on our own discontentment, when we're overwhelmed by our own lives and our own circumstances, then it's very hard to give an unexpected gift like that. But when we have found contentment, when we have found peace, and when we understand where real contentment and where real peace come from, then it becomes very easy to focus on others. If you've ever gotten an unexpected gift, then you understand what Paul's saying. You appreciate the gift itself, but you're even more appreciative of the love and the concern that you know is behind the gift. So let's move on. Paul continues, Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. You were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show your concern. So what we see is there's a difference between concern and opportunity. Or in other words, there's a difference between being willing to help and actually being able to help. The opportunities to help are everywhere. But if we're going to help, then first we must have a concern and a willingness to help. Because when we're overwhelmed by our own circumstances, when we're overwhelmed by our own discontents, then it's almost impossible to have a concern for others. And when we don't have a concern for others, then we will miss all the opportunities that exist to help others. And the opportunities are really everywhere. But when we have found contentment, when we have found peace, and when we understand where real contentment and real peace come from, then it becomes very easy to focus on others. And when we shift our focus away from ourselves and on to others, then we can't help but have concern for them. But here's the thing. When we're really focused on others, then our concerns and our willingness and desire to help will be far greater than our resources and our ability to actually help. And when our concerns are greater than our opportunities, we can easily fall into a trap. And here's the trap. I can't do it all, so I'm not going to do anything. If I do it for you, I'm going to have to do it for everyone. And if I say yes to you, then I'd have to say yes to everyone. And because I can't say yes to everyone, I'm so sorry. I can't say yes to you either. And this is the trap of precedence. And when we fall into the precedent trap, then we let ourselves off the hook and we don't end up helping anyone, which is really just another form of discontentment. It's basically saying I'm so discontent with my capability to help that I retreat back into myself. Because I can't help everyone, you know, I'll just focus on helping myself. And trust me, the temptation is great, especially from where I'm standing right now. Because the needs I see as I look out at all of you, and the needs I see as I look out into our community, 
are far greater than my capacity to meet them personally. They're far greater than our staff's capacity to meet them. And it would be easy to fall into the precedent trap because I can't see everybody in the hospital, because I can't counsel everybody, because I can't call everybody, because I can't attend every event, because I can't contact every missionary, then I won't visit, I won't counsel, I won't call, I won't attend, or I won't contact anyone. And that is the precedent trap. But as Andy Stanley says, the right way to think about it is we should do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. And this is why God designed the church the way that he did. Because the needs are greater than my ability, our staff's ability, or any single individual's ability to meet alone. But they're not greater than our ability to meet them together if we each do our part. Our willingness and our desire to help as a staff far exceeds our capacity. So please, don't ever think that if we haven't called you personally or we haven't come personally, that we aren't personally concerned. We're deeply concerned and we love each and every one of you. We pray for you often and we try and connect with as many as we possibly can. And when we can't do it ourselves, we try and make sure that there's someone else who can do it for us. So I am so thankful for our Benevolence Committee and our Stevens Ministers, for our care ministry and our visitation ministry and our life groups. Because through these ministries, we care for each other as a body. So the question is, who is your one? Who are the one or two people or families that you're watching out for and caring for? Who are the one or two that you're making the unexpected phone calls to? or giving the unexpected gifts to, or investing your time in. Think about it this way. If every one is investing in two, then there are two investing in every one. And that would be pretty cool. When we've found contentment, when we have found peace, and when we understand where real contentment and peace come from, then it becomes very easy for us to focus on others. And when we shift our focus away from ourselves and on to others, then we can't help but to have concern for them. But where do we find that real contentment and that real peace? Will we really find it in one more sale? Will we find it in a quiet night at home without the kids fighting? Will we find contentment when all the bills are finally paid on time? Or when the entire family is actually healthy at the same time? Will we find contentment when we get that next promotion at work or finally get the new car we've had our eye on? Or is there someplace else? Or is there someone else where we will find true contentment? Paul continues in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So let's just take a brief detour for a minute to discuss Bible translations. 
One of the reasons Bibles are continually retranslated and updated is because we interpret the Bible based on our current understanding and cultural uses of words. So if we're not careful, as our language changes, our understanding of the Bible can change. And unless we're careful to understand the intent of the original authors and the original language, we run the risk of distorting the Bible. And contentment and peace are two of those words that our culture has really distorted. So today we're going to deal with contentment, and then over the next three weeks as we walk through Advent, we're going to take a deep dive into contentment's second cousin, peace, in order to really understand the implications of the promise that the angels gave to the shepherds. So what does it mean to be content? Well, the Greek or the Stoic view of contentment, which is where our modern idea of contentment comes from, says that contentment is a state of self-reliance. It is a calm acceptance of life's pressures because of a trust in one's own resources. And that is exactly the definition of contentment that drives our culture. If I think I have enough, or when I have enough to meet all my needs and desires, then I will be content. And when we don't have everything we need, or we don't have everything we think we need, or we don't have everything we've been convinced that we need, then we become discontent. And so as we prepare for a holiday that's supposed to be all about Thanksgiving and contentment, we're bombarded with messages about all the things we apparently need if our lives are going to be complete, things we weren't even aware we needed, but now our lives are somehow incomplete without them and we become discontent. But this is how Paul describes contentment. Contentment, as Paul describes it, is a calm acceptance of life's pressures, not because of our own resources, but because of a trust in another's resources. Paul says that our contentment is not based on what we have, but it's based on who we have. It's the classic, it's not what you know, but who you know scenario. Contentment, as Paul describes it, is to be satisfied with whatever we have because we are inwardly independent of our ever-changing outward circumstances. If our view of contentment is the Greek view of contentment, then if we don't think we have enough, or when life gets overwhelming, we become discontent. But in Paul's view of contentment, because we have access to God's unlimited resources, we can always have a calm acceptance in the middle of life's pressures. So Paul says, I'm thankful for your gift, and I'm going to use your gift. I will even enjoy your gift. But your gift is not what is going to make me content because eventually your gift is going to run out or it's going to wear out or it's going to go out of style and if my contentment is based on your gift then I will only be content for as long as your gift lasts Paul says I'm so thankful for your gift but what you have to understand is I've learned something even more important I've learned that contentment is not dependent on possessions or circumstances, but contentment is based on a person. And the person is not Santa Claus. Because when we worship at the altar of Santa's consumerism, we always cry out for more 
But when we worship at the altar of Christ, he says, I am enough. When we find our contentment in the right person, then like Paul, we can praise and we can worship and we can find joy regardless of our possessions or our circumstances. Paul says, hey guys, I'm so thankful for your gift, but check this out. I've learned the secret to contentment. He has learned the secret. But let's not miss how he learned the secret. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not just a bunch of stuff he heard in a Sunday school class or from a sermon. He has learned by experience. And this is something important for us not to miss. If we haven't actually experienced something, then we haven't actually learned it. And Paul, he learned the truth about contentment through the school of life. So let's take a second to look at what Paul says he has learned. He says, I know what it means to be in need, and I know what it means to have plenty. I know what it means to be well-fed, and I know what it means to be hungry. And seriously, Paul is being just a little bit modest because Paul is writing to the Philippians about contentment from a jail cell in Rome. He's living in what amounts to a pit under a street, living under constant threat of execution. He's hungry and cold, enduring physical suffering and mental torture. And yet he says, hey guys, I'm so thankful for your gift. But what you need to understand is I've learned something even more important. I've learned that true contentment does not depend on possessions or circumstances. And let's just take a moment to think about that and compare it to our situations and all the things that we are discontent about. I'm pretty sure none of those Black Friday emails I got were talking about starvation or physical suffering or torture. And yet I am somehow discontent because I didn't get to go on a shopping spree. I've got to be honest. Based on Paul's list, I've never even come close to being in need in my life. I've gone to bed over full plenty of times, but I've never come close to going to bed hungry. There have been times when I haven't had my own home to live in, but I've never been close to being homeless. Sure, I've been teased and maybe even ridiculed a little bit for my faith, but I've never come close to torture or prison. And Paul says, hey guys, I've learned that contentment does not depend on possessions or circumstances. And to really appreciate Paul's perspective on this, we have to recognize that Paul was not always poor and needy. Paul had been a prominent Pharisee. The Pharisees were the religious rulers of the time. Paul's future was bright. He was rising the corporate ladder. And by any earthly measure, Paul had plenty. But Paul lacked what was most important. Paul lacked a Christ-centered peace of heart. And what we see is that all of our resources can really create an obstacle to finding true contentment. Because all of our resources make it so easy for us to become self-reliant instead of Christ-reliant. 
the problem with basing our contentment on personal comfort and happiness is that what makes us comfortable and happy is constantly changing. The shiny new toy gets old and breaks, or a newer, fancier model comes out. The amazing new job gets hard, and our relationships with family and friends, they ebb and flow. Our circumstances are always changing, and so when we base our contentment on our possessions and our circumstances, we're constantly riding the roller coaster of contentment and discontentment. And so this Advent season, let's get off the roller coaster. Paul says, I can do everything through him. And the connection between these two thoughts is key. It's not a prideful, I can do everything. It's a declaration of strength because of the power of Christ within him. Are you feeling discontent with your possessions or overwhelmed by your circumstances this holiday season? Then look around and ask yourself, which altar are you worshiping at? Are you celebrating the birth of Christ at the altar of Santa's consumerism? So busy seeking more that you can't see the needs of the others around you? Or are you worshiping at the altar of Christ? where he says, I am enough. In fact, he says, I am so much that I want you to unexpectedly share with others. Unexpectedly share what you have. Unexpectedly share yourself. Be an unexpected gift giver this Christmas. What do you want for Christmas? Do you want true and lasting contentment? Do you want the peace that the angels promised the shepherds? We can have it. We just have to be waiting for the right person to arrive on Christmas Eve. And here's a hint. He doesn't show up in a sleigh pulled by eight tiny reindeer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for Christ, who is the source of our contentment. We pray that he would be our focus and that out of the fullness that we have in him, we would be generous and we would be unexpected givers this holiday season. In Jesus' name.